welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. You know, last week, uh, honestly, uh, I couldn't think of a more important topic that uh, I could have preached on at, at any point than prayer. And uh, that, that message is online. Uh, we did, some were wondering, there was an issue with our website provider that uh, they have ironed out. You can do autoplay again now. Uh, but that was a, a, an incredibly essential message last week on, on the church being a devoted to prayer. Uh, this week, the topic does not take second place. It uh, is exceedingly important. As we are in, a, in the last of our series of three messages from the opening six verses of Acts chapter 6, and today's lesson is titled, Concerning Those Who Teach. And, and this will include a brief summary of our time uh, in this passage, uh, over the last three weeks, we have um, learned that all Christians must participate in serving Christ's church. Uh, all are to participate in corporate gatherings for prayer. Uh, today, we're going to s- discover that uh, to some degree, all must also participate in this ministry of God's Word. If you looked at the title and concluded, wow, the, concerning those who teach, and you decided, well, good, this is only concerning those who teach, you know, that surely doesn't describe me because I'm not a teacher, I'm not gifted in teaching, don't want to stand in front of a classroom at all, um, nor has the church ever determined I had a spiritual gift of teaching. Uh, I get a good long nap today. Uh, no, no, hold on, they're just... Uh, a little bit, not so fast. It is true that not all are gifted in teaching. Not our, not all are called to teach the church. In fact, our Lord's brother James warns in James three verse one: uh, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, uh, knowing such uh, that we will be uh, held to a stricter judgment." Those who teach will be held to a stricter uh, judgment. Uh, It is also the local church and not ourselves who assesses and determines individual spiritual giftedness. Uh, uh, We all have uh, on occasion discovered that there are certain people whose theology is, is so bad, so messed up that they shouldn't be teaching anybody anywhere at any time. They have no business teaching uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, to some degree, all true Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, uh, they are to participate in this ministry of the Word. Uh, and though some, only some, are uniquely gifted to discern, to interpret, uh, to in- teach in the church the scriptures, uh, this ministry of the word that we embrace as a corporate body, uh, both on Sundays and on Wednesday evenings, uh, it demands all of our attention. 
attention of all of us. Therefore, as we begin, I would like to focus our minds one more time upon verse 4, because as I stated last week, uh, this statement by the apostles is far too critical to us to just jet on past. The apostles insist that we will devote ourselves to prayer. That was our topic last Sunday. Uh, And additionally, they ensure that we will remain steadfastly devoted to the ministry of the Word. It's the ministry of the Word, uh, the serving of the Word, the teaching of the Word that is our topic today. Uh, That Greek term that we translate in our English Bibles as ministry, uh, that is diakonia. Uh, We get that word deacon from it. Uh, It indicates the apostles saw themselves as servants of the Word. They were ministers of the Word. And in case you did not previously know, that, that term minister means to assume a role of service. It's to serve. Two weeks ago, I said there, there's no higher position in the church than servant. That's it. And we all get it. We all get to serve. And the apostles state here that uh, we will commit our lives in service to the word. So by stating they are ministers in this way, the apostles, they were placing themselves under the authority of God's word to, to serve its purpose, to serve its divine mission on earth. Ultimately, that is to proclaim everywhere that Jesus Christ is Lord because it's only in response to God's revelation in these very words of the Bible, uh, the Word of God, uh, that we come to know that there is ample forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. It's available. Reconciliation to God, uh, the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, is extended openly. The Bible describes these as prophetic words. You've probably heard that before. The term prophecy there uh, means uh, that these words are God himself speaking to us. That's what the word prophet means, to speak for God or prophecy. The sacred writings, these same sacred writings are also called Holy Scripture. And the Bible itself reveals how God used holy men in ancient history. This, This includes Christ's Apostles, by the way, the twelve, to both speak and write down divine words. It is the Apostle Peter who who writes, this is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that, that these words, the Apostle Peter writes, were never made by an act of the human will, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit moved them to write the words, uh, guided them, and for this reason the Apostle Paul then uh, writes also in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed, and he continues, for these words are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every 
good work. It's the Word of God that does all of this. And one final reference to shared, it just greatly amplifies how absolutely crucial this ministry of God's Word is. It's First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It reveals it is essential to salvation. A spiritual rebirth. You know, Jesus said in John 3, verse 7, you must be born again. In layman's terms, uh, that born again phrase there, it implies your, your eyes must be opened. Your ears must hear. The light has to come in. You must be born anew. Uh, so, so to be saved, Jesus says, like you need a whole new birth. You need to start over again. And Peter writes to all Christians everywhere saying that this has happened to us. Our eyes has been open, have been opened. The light has come in. And Peter writes, you have been born again, uh, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. That's how you're born again. And he speaks to the body this flesh. He says, all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades away. But the word of our Lord endures forever. And Peter writes, and this is the word that was preached to you. It's the ministry of the word. The teaching of the word. So, so our salvation, our forgiveness of sins, uh, that includes a cleansing, a, a complete forgiveness of sins. It, it's not a concoction of man. It's not something that we came up with in the Bible, uh, but a verbal declaration by God as he speaks to us through the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and God speaks when he speaks, Hebrews 4.12. God speaks and he reminds us, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the Word of God. The writer continues, and there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all these things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must each give an account. Hebrews 9 verse 27, just a few chapters later, says, It is appointed for men to die once, and then the judgment. For those who resist or reject God's one and only offering of forgiveness through His Son, the, the penalty is eternal damnation. We must recall, however, that these people are not ultimately punished in hell because they've rejected Jesus. No, no instead, hell is for a well-deserved penalty for our lives of unrighteousness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's Romans 3.23. But the offer is very straightforward and simple to us in the Word. Uh, 
Jesus himself said in John 3, verse 16, we often see this pasted in the end zones at sporting events, John 3, 16. These are Jesus' words. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, says Jesus. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Friends, all of these references expose how exceedingly critical this ministry is and how, how powerful the Word of God is. Judges the thoughts, our thoughts and our hearts. Makes us look inside ourselves and think, uh, for it is by the Holy Spirit that God convicts us of our sins, the Word says. And by the Word's proclamation that God saves from damnation, the word continues thereafter. It doesn't stop there. It isn't just today I'm saved. It, it doesn't stop with salvation. No, uh, the word continues to cleanse us throughout our lives uh, from all unrighteousness. It strengthens us to persevere until Christ returns in glory. So, so this devotion to this ministry of God's word, it's, it's an undertaking that is absolutely critical. Last Sunday, we came, uh, we came to realize the apostles had devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of this word, uh, because uh, that's the only way any man can be saved from hell. Any woman can be saved from hell is through hearing the word. And by hearing God's message that Christ died for our sins on the cross, that he, he took the punishment for us in his own body, dying as our substitute, uh, and by the rebirth, by the regeneration, by, the, by being born again by the Holy Spirit, we've come to believe this. And there's one common confession, one common confession of what Christians believe. It's, it's eternally etched in, in a few words. We call it the Apostles' Creed. This is not found in the Bible. Um, it is a summary written by early Christians. And each week, Christians around the globe uh, confess this. They, they, you can read it with me if you like. Go ahead and put it up there. This is what Christians all around the globe uh, confess each week. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Oh, man. Thank you, God. Yeah, that's a, that's a great summary um, that stood the test of time throughout history, a very effective summary of what Christians believe. 
And after embracing these truths about Christ, the scriptural truths, not superficially, but with our heart, our Romans 10 verse 9 assures us that if you confess your, with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Uh, for the scripture says of Christ, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Very nice. Very nice. Clearly salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. It's by God's grace alone. It's not by our good works. It's not what we've done, feeling that we deserve something good after we die. No, um, we're all sinners. We don't automatically become Christian because uh, uh, at some point in our lives we were splashed with water or baptized or, or whatever. No, uh, um, nor is it because simply because we responded to an altar call at some point or, or read uh, some prescribed prayer. Scores of people, folks, have done these very things that many of us have as well. They're not bad things, but scores of people have done these very things but never trusted in Christ as Lord. Folks, we can only trust through a faithful ministry of the Word. This is what the Apostle Paul describes as a trustworthy statement. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, we read this earlier, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul goes on to say, of all sinners, I'm chief. I might argue with him. Maybe I'm chief. But God's grace is more than abundant. And therefore, for six chapters, we've watched the 12 apostles uh, proclaim God's worth, uh, worthiness. Uh, they've proclaimed Christ. They've proclaimed it openly. They've proclaimed it repeatedly and boldly and faithfully. And as our scripture reading from Paul revealed earlier, God's word must be proclaimed accurately. For there are many false teachers who adulterate the word of God. And Paul says, they teach it strangely. Strange doctrines. During our scripture reading, Paul also notified his, his much younger protege named Timothy. He said, you must instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Those who taught strangely also spoke out boldly. Yet 1 Timothy 1 verse 7 reveals, they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. They may speak boldly. They, they have no idea what they're talking about. There are men and women, many today, who twist and distort the ministry of the word. They speak in manners pleasing to men, easy on the ears, soft on the conscience. 
They usually become wealthy and quite successful and well-liked. They line their pockets. But concerning those who teach, who truly teach, six chapters of Acts have clearly revealed that remaining devoted to this ministry of the Word is not an easy course. For such a person, it doesn't lead to prosperity, and it's, it's not glamorous. Not everybody likes you. The apostles themselves have had to display a confidence to stand and declare the message of the cross, even when their audience had rejected it. The high priests, the Sadducees, the Supreme Council, they had rejected it repeatedly. We've seen the apostles imprisoned on numerous occasions. They were tried. They were threatened. They were severely beaten. All for the word of God. All for the word of God. And nevertheless, in view of all of this, they have endured. They say, nonetheless, we will devote ourselves to this ministry. So we're going to preserve this ministry. The courage and the character of these men is uh, unwavering. You know, when criminally charged, think about that. Criminally charged and dragged into court. For preaching this book. Sound like a fallacy? It wasn't for them. It isn't in many places around the world today. Criminally charged and dragged into court, it, it would have been much easier for them to say, this would have been the easy road. You know, Your Honor, it is possible that Jesus isn't the only way. You know, we're becoming a bit sure, even ourselves, uh, whether anybody saw him resurrected. You know, we'll, we'll press on to look further into that. You just give us a second chance. Uh, and please forgive us so uh, we can see now how our calling on people everywhere to repent and trust in Jesus Christ, turn from sins, uh, that, that may have come across a little bit un intolerant, maybe somewhat unkind. You know, some of these things uh, probably offended the court who holds different views. Uh, they might have said, if they wanted off easy, they could have said, you know, perhaps we could uh, drop certain things from our message. Maybe we could all agree. And like some prominent pastor types today, the apostles could have uh, set off on what... Uh, by appearance, seems to be like an apology tour. Apologize for Christians and what we believe. You believe what is happening in America. But when pressured by the religious courts, these apostles refused to do just that. At every juncture, at every crossroad, 
when it would have been easy to do otherwise, uh, they have been completely unwilling to adulterate and change the Word of God. They will do so, remain unwilling all the way up until their deaths. And in doing that, the apostles look a whole lot like their Savior Jesus. Christ himself was uncompromising, unwilling to modify the message, and his audience too ultimately rejected. Crowds rejected his message, they rejected him. But humbling himself, Philippians 2 verse 8, uh, there we are told Jesus remained obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, that includes everyone. At our Lord's appearing, all the dead will rise. Even the unbelieving who are to be sentenced with eternal hell. Uh, But first, but first they will bow the knee and confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one does an end around Jesus. And concerning those who teach, those who serve or minister the word, uh, this, this is a task without compromise. The word is not written to serve man. Man is to serve the word. And beginning with a disciple named Stephen, through the rest of this chapter next week and the next chapter beyond, uh, this ministry is now going to begin costing many their lives. Think about that. It reveals how devoted they remain to this very ministry. Christ told his apostles, really said this to a group, including other disciples. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Jesus was saying to them, to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, says Christ, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You can find that in Luke chapter 9 for reference. Well, when the apostles say they devote themselves to the ministry of the word, through teaching and preaching and nurturing, uh, they are devoting themselves faithfully to preserve its message up until the very end. 
They already know from the example that Jesus left. This could, and for many will, cost them their lives, uh, yet theirs is a full devotion. They remain fully devoted. Uh, Concerning those who teach, this ministry and message of salvation must never become distorted or contorted or compromised. And to preserve it, I would propose three principles today. Three simple principles uh, that would help assure it never happens here or in our lives. Um, This is not exhaustive, by the way, not intended to be an exhaustive list. Um, But these are very, very practical, very practical and actionable principles. In our day, devotion to the word, uh, it, it becomes increasingly complex. It's due to the proliferation of strange doctrines. They're all all over. They're all over the internet. Wolves are now everywhere. They're seeking to scatter. They're looking to devour Christ's precious flock. As a consequence, shepherding God's sheep, it's it's become a seemingly impossible task. Yes. It used to be you know, just a few decades ago. It used to be that the only local threat to a church you know, was like an errant remark that might be made somewhere that can be easily addressed you know, from the pulpit on Sunday or right in the classroom. Address it immediately, Sunday school class. Um, but today, uh, a minister of God's word, a servant of God's word, uh, must contend with all the garbage that uh, the sheep consume or some sheep consume on YouTube. You know, a few sheep eat more like goats. You ever, ever seen a goat eat? They'll eat anything. They'll consume virtually anything. Uh, so when the faithful teacher opens the Bible for a study on Sunday morning in a class or elsewhere, uh, saying to the flock, you know, I found some lush green grass, some good pasture, uh, we can all... Uh, graze on together. You know, wandering sheep uh, sometimes become convinced that they've already, they're already full after grazing in a desert littered with nuclear waste. So the sheep burps and says, I'm full. I'm fine. Well, the shepherd replies, but from what I hear, you sound awful. Where have you been? What have you been eating? And they find that they were grazing on, you know, Creflo Dollar or T.D. Jakes or right before they begin vomiting that on everybody else who's within reach, making everybody sick as well. It's false teaching. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. What makes it worse now, now probably more than ever, is the strange teaching on the internet. Many have learned to fake sounding credible. Credible. Some really gotten good at faking it. it. They pretend to be serious theologians. As Paul said in 1 Timothy, uh, they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters of which they make confident assertions. And as a result today, confronting error, it's now at every turn. For each of us, it's at every turn. Every time you flip your computer on or look at your phone. 
It's not just unusually hard. It seems impossible. Seems impossible. I listened to a message last week from Alistair Begg. And that was given at a, a pastor's conference they hold each year up there in Cleveland. And many of you know Alistair Begg. If you don't, you should get to know him. Uh, he stated to those pastors there, if he asked if he, he was asked if he ever feels discouraged to the point that he wants to abandon the ministry. You know what his response was? Every single Sunday. And the way that he framed that comment, he was not joking. He was humorous with it, but he was not joking. And I, I have to imagine uh, that large of a ministry, that good of a ministry that has persevered through the decades, uh, there's got to be enormous pressure. Big problems in big churches become increasingly manifold. It's a big ship that he steers there. He's very faithful in it. Um, he, he even stated, he even stated, this is good. When he passes by, he said, one of those little white churches that he sees sitting on a corner, his inner voice tells him, boy, I wouldn't mind getting myself a piece of that. I believe he's serious. Uh, I'll be honest. The degree of his misery left me feeling quite good. So good that I shared that ministry with my fellow elders as well so that they could be encouraged. No, Alistair, he's, he's solid, solid. First principle number one then ensures then uh, as the ministry of Alistair Begg and Truth for Life Ministries does, uh, that's the one I forwarded uh, to them in a message. I forwarded it. There are sound and credible ministry resources available on the internet. There's lots of green grass. But there's a lot more nuclear waste. Concerning those who teach and, and all who listen, which includes all of us, myself included, be diligent and discerning that your material comes from a credible source. That's pretty simple. A trustworthy source for teaching will come from a man with a proven track record after decades of serving the word in a reputable church or ministry. Folks, knowing where a preacher comes from or where a writer comes from and what church has ordained him, laying on of hands, that will tell that will tell a discerning mind, a wise and discerning mind, a lot. Actually, most of what we need to know. Where do they come from? They come from the Catholic Church. It's nuclear waste. Our sins aren't going to be forgiven in purgatory. It's false doctrine. And the internet is swarming with counterfeit theology. Swarming with it. There are men, are men and women included who will buy a microphone, plug it into a computer and decide, today I've become a theologian. I'm starting a radio show. I'm going to write a blog. They come out of nowhere. It's a side hustle. Make a few extra bucks through advertising. Many identify with no church, 
And no credible church would identify with them as spiritually gifted to teach. They're self-ordained. That means they're not ordained. You can't become biblically ordained by taking a test on the internet. You'll get a license to marry people that way. They'll say you're ordained. You know, that's not ordination. Many have no church home, display no record of Christian service. Uh, they have no traceable education or sat under any pastor for study. Um, a few will... A few will not even tell you their last name. Shrouded in mystery. One of them actually, I heard once comment, you know, I don't dare give out my last name. What I'm teaching you could bring me some persecution. People can't know where I am. You ever heard John MacArthur or Alistair Begg or anybody reputable say that? I can't give you my last name or tell you what church I'm from. No, no. Yet they want everyone to hear what they think about the Bible. Principle number one then involves all of us, uh, whether you're in the church teaching or listening, uh, be discerning of resources. Be very discerning of resources. There are plenty of good ones out there. Um, Many of the best ones are dead. That's because as time passes, it proves out that they had a faithful ministry. Uh, they're men with names like you know, Spurgeon, Calvin, Augustine, Luther, Sproul. Others are still living, but most are old because they have persevered through years of faithful ministry, decades of faithful ministry. Uh, they got names like MacArthur. Beg, Swindoll, Lawson, Moeller, Bauckham. They're readily available right there at our fingertips. So when you cite your lesson, um, or whatever you att- whenever you attach a text message, it'll give us all a, a, an awareness, a pretty good awareness, uh, and an indication of whether you have a spirit of wisdom and discernment and teaching. Buyer beware. Second principle. Second principle. Scriptural learning, this is both yours and mine, needs to occur systematically. This will also keep us out of trouble. Don't be afraid of that word systematic. People hear that and they want to tune out. Every credible seminary teaches what is called systematic theology. Systematic in its most basic sense means uh, studying, studying and learning in a logical progression. Say, what's that look like? We don't teach our kids algebra before they learn multiplication, before they learn their prime numbers. We start with A, B, C, and one, two, three. And likewise, in our theology, we start with basic doctrines that are clear in Scripture, very clear in Scripture, that every Christian throughout history believes. Then we progressively and systematically build out upon them. Uh, We recited a number of these doctrines in the Apostles' Creed. 
God is the all-powerful creator of all things. That can't be violated. Christ is God's son. He was born of a virgin regardless of what some popular personalities will say today. He died on the cross. He did rise from the dead on the third day. The Holy Spirit is God. God cannot sin. He is holy, etc., etc. So our theological conclusions then, progressing out from that, systematically must never violate core doctrines. You listen to anybody who's violating any of these, that Jesus isn't God, or that he wasn't born of a virgin, that's when you hit the tune out. Tune out. Our theological conclusions systematically must never violate what is clear and what is true. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He said, sanctify them in the truth, he prayed to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's Christianity. And being truth from Genesis to Revelation means that Scripture never contradicts itself. And it doesn't. It's holy. The Bible always reinforces itself. That's what it does when studied correctly. One example of doing this was Abraham's nephew in Genesis chapter 19. He he was named Lot. And people will come say, was Lot a believer? You know, he made some questionable decisions. He sure did, boy. He probably should have never moved to Sodom in the first place. How about that part about his daughters? And if you only read Genesis chapter 19, you, you, know, you might question whether he was even a believer. If you stop there. But the Bible reinforces itself. Because the New Testament says of Lot, living in Sodom, 2 Peter 2 verse 7, Lot was righteous. And that he felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Lot was a believer. That has implications to how you interpret that passage and the Bible. John MacArthur has correctly said, Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. Be immersed in Scripture, and you'll find the answers. So whether you are teaching or listening here or elsewhere or on the internet, wherever it may be, start with what we know to be true. And use statements that are clear to explain those which are less clear. That's just basic systematic theology. Don't randomly assign conclusions. Systematic study requires that we interpret and understand everything in its context as well. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, When we encounter a critical hinge verse, like we will next week in verse 7, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, a critical hinge verse we've already observed in the preceding six chapters uh, what we are leading up to it with. We've already looked. Resist pulling a verse like that out of thin air. Try to make sense out of it. Flip your Bible open and, oh, I think I'll just come up with an application from this. Read it within its surrounding context. 
So those concern, uh, concerning those who teach and, and those who listen, uh, we must use credible sources and discern systematically. Uh, just one more for today. This is principle number three. Those who devote themselves to this ministry of the word, they teach credibly, they teach systematically, and they teach corporately. The body of Christ most effectively learns when we are all together, when we come together as a group. Uh, Nothing that we have seen the apostles do or teach or say has been done under a rock. All teaching has been aired out in the open for all ears to hear, even the ears of their adversaries. The Word of God is a public ministry, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.13, devote special attention to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Public supplied to all three there. Public reading of Scripture, public exhortation, public teaching. It's all public. Then in verse 16, he tells Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching And by doing so, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So you want everybody to hear it. All could hear. Timothy's special special gift of teaching, it was displayed in public for all to hear. If someone is spiritually gifted in the church uh, for teaching, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 would assure us that that gift is to be employed to serve the church. It's for the benefit of the whole church if they are a teacher. Um, If it's not used in the whole church, you're probably not listening to a gifted teacher. So devotion to this ministry of the word occurs when it's all out in the open for all ears to hear. Um, When they came to arrest Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he told the priests this, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me As, as you would against a robber? Jesus says, every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. Jesus' ministry was a a public teaching ministry. Sure, he got alone with his disciples from time to time, but what he taught was taught out in the open. So concerning those who teach, the spiritual gift is manifest in public and displayed for all of us. That just provides accountability and it keeps everybody on the same page. And we've had several guys who've led devotionals for us on Wednesday evening. They've rotated through that teaching uh, position. They do a great job at it. And, and it doesn't take long for Christ's church to begin to discern who has a gift of teaching. It's the church listening that decides You can visit me or the elders to discuss how that process gets initiated if you would like. Um, But the ministry of this word, it is a public ministry. Apostles, they gather together the whole congregation uh, where they teach and preach. It's aired in the open. It's the most effective way to defend against false teaching. Against strange doctrine. Just keep it all out in the open. And as uh, I stated at the outset, this, do- this devotion to the ministry of the Word, it isn't for a select few. 
whether you are teaching or whether you are listening, every Christian plays a part in this. Be discerning of resources. Study systematically. Have a rhyme and reason to it. Gather as a group where the scriptures are taught openly. One final note as we close is an application. I was asked several weeks back, I told you about a father saying, I'd like if you have some help out for fathers and other things about something. Here's Here's a note for fathers and for husbands. This shared ministry is, by the way, the shared ministry is Christ's church. It's where we cleanse our wives and our families by the washing of the water with the word. It's how they're cleansed. It's through gathering together here where Christ sanctifies his bride through the devotion to this ministry of the word. It occurs on Wednesday evening. You get Mike or other people leading adult Sunday school. There's a ministry of the word going on in many different locations. It goes on with our kids club. It goes on with the youth group. Um, yet the cleansing, the cleansing through this, we, we purge a lot of strange doctrine that surrounds us everywhere. Sometimes I'll have a husband and a father come up to me and lament that his wife uh, doesn't want to listen to his teaching. And he'll say, uh, but I'm supposed to, like Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, cleanse her with the washing of the word. But then they'll skip church. Yet the cleansing in Ephesians 5 is speaking primarily um, as us first bringing our wives to the gathering at church to be cleansed through this ministry. We can't skip that step. And when Paul wrote that command in Ephesians, when he wrote that, Christian men did not have Bibles at home. They weren't teaching scripture to their wives at home. Hardly anybody had personal scriptures at home. Few would have had the ability to read them, even if they had them. Even fewer were gifted by the Spirit to teach. That is not a justification to skip family devotionals, by the way. There are many good resources today to assist us right at our fingertips, and you should use them. But the washing with the word described in Ephesians 5 is the ministry of the word that we share together as a corporate body. And we can't justify skipping this either. Just because we have devotionals at home. Oh, husband, father says, we'll just do devotionals at home. No, you cannot skip the step. Uh, The apostles assure that we will devote ourselves to it. Um, Together, folks, we must be fully vested in this passage. If we aren't serving, and we aren't praying, and we aren't teaching, exactly what are we doing? Maybe suffering. I guess, like Stephen, who will be introduced in our passage next Sunday, 
perhaps we could learn to suffer. We'll begin to touch on that topic starting next week. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, as as gracious as you have been in, in giving us the riches of your word, teaching teaching us everything that we need to know uh, for raising our families, for being a good husband, for being a, a good father, to being sound in faith. You put it right there in print on the pages of the Bible. And uh, we admit sometimes we, we look elsewhere. Your Bible says to... Uh, not forsake the assembly of the church, and we say, yeah, I'm not, I don't have time for that. Your word tells us to, to train up our children in the way they should go, and you give instructions in Proverbs how to do it, and then we look elsewhere. What else can I find? Yet you've placed it all right at our fingertips for us together to know how we should live, how to be sound in the faith, how to please you in every respect. And all we have to do is read it together. We ask that your spirit would use that to to make us men and women of God, holy and devoted in, in every respect, and that we would be prepared and ready on the day that your son returns, uh, that he might uh, look at our record that we have shared and say to each of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, be glorified in us in each and every way. Uh, Use this church uh, for your kingdom to call sinners to repentance, uh, to sanctify, uh, to make holy those who already know you. And uh, Lord, uh, cause us to rejoice knowing that all of our sins are forgiven uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you're a visitor, I'll be up front afterwards, and I'd love to say hi if you'd like to come up. Have a great Sunday.